I'm Kate Daniels. Oh, life can be so tough, we think, and yes, it has those moments. But there's little to compare to a Nazi concentration camp for a person of any age. But a child? Susan McClellan joins us to talk about Robbie Weissman, the focus of her latest book, Boy from Buchenwald, The True Story of a Holocaust Survivor. Good morning, Susan. So great to... Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. It is so great to have this opportunity uh, to have a conversation with you. So thank you so greatly for being available. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for being interested in the book. Oh, my gosh. Uh, See, it's already causing me to to choke up, but it's... um, it's an incredible story, such an important story. And, you know, before getting right into it, this is your fifth book, correct? On the topic um, of, right? Uh, maybe there are others. It's closer to my eighth book. I have to look at my website to see. I think it's closer. Hey, do you want me to do it? Are you wanting to say that? Because it's more than five. Uh, hang on. Let me quickly look. I know this is really bad. I should know that, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, when you're a prolific writer, perhaps not. You just keep on churning out the Ninth. books. <laughs> Ninth. Ninth. Ninth book. Ninth book. I, oh. I actually have two books out this spring, so that's part of the ninth. Robbie's book and another book. So uh, that were just that, again, it was just coincidence, not planned. So the the ones that I know, saw on your website, other than this book about Robbie Weissman, boy from Buchenwald, is that that you're writing these really hard stories, true life challenges that these young people have gone through. Robbie, yeah. just a, a young boy surviving, actually surviving the Holocaust. Uh, you know, so first, applause to you for being able to 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 go through that and to share their stories. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> well, I I thank you because um I don't I'm not familiar with the other stories except to have seen the titles and get a sense of them. But uh having read the true story of a Holocaust survivor boy from Buchenwald about Robbie Weissman, uh this we we kind of have an idea of the Holocaust. I've read some books about it and I you know, each one, this one, just really was pounding my heart. And to think that he is still alive, and that's why you've been able to write this book with him, right? Yes, he's one of the, the few that remain, and most of the Buchenwald boys have passed away. Robbie is 90. So being 90, he he was very young uh, when the war started. What we, I think he was eight or nine years old, right? Yes, yes. When the Nazis came to Skarzuszko Kamena, where he was born and living, uh, he was he was born in 1931. So they invaded in 1939. I'm trying to do my math here, <laughs> uh, and you know he had the ghetto experience. Um, I mean, it is a phenomenal story. He was given to a farmer to be raised as a Christian child for a while. His family spent a great deal of whatever remaining money they had left to try and get Robbie uh, to safety. Uh, Robbie ran away from that. 
Um, but Robbie survived uh, because he had very nimble fingers and was working in the munitions factories for the Germans. Um, you know, being able to go into the barrel of guns and clean them out and stamping the letters of the the, the various different military uh, arms of the Germans onto these weapons. And so that's how he managed to end up in Buchenwald is when the Red Army, the Russian Red Army, was coming from the east and the Allies uh, were coming from the west. Uh, there were, A, the Germans wanted to kill and just get rid of any evidence of whatever camps and what they had done in Poland, but some of the survivors, they shipped to German camps. Um, and that's how Robbie and thousands of young boys because it was felt that they still could contribute in the war effort and somehow ended up at Buchenwald. And he is able to recall this and sh- and you write with him and, and script the book, but it is his story. And so how did you find him, find the story, Susan? Well, given what I do in telling these narratives, uh, it was really word of mouth. I was approached by um, a, a literary agent who knew my work and said, you know, I know this man whose story is is great. Um, I did have to do, I mean, first of all, I started interviewing Robbie for this book about five years ago. Um, his memory then uh, was much, much more intact than it is now. His wife, Gloria, was instrumental in passing on to me so much of the stories that, that Robbie couldn't quite remember. Um, you know, Robbie was still and is still, was, that they've now passed away, of course, but the cousins that he met in France, his sister, uh, and, and certainly the Brandt family, which were, uh, you know, a very, very wealthy European um, family that wanted to adopt Robbie. He was in touch with all of them. And so I was able to get some of the stories that Robbie's mind may not have remembered from them as well. There's also a professor uh, at the University of Michigan, Kenneth Waltzer, who has been researching and collecting the testimonies of the Buchenwald boys most of his career. And so I spent a lot of time with him um, backing up parts of uh, Robbie's narratives where his mind wasn't quite quite right. And that was particularly around the Buchenwald experience. Um, So there was a lot of fact-checking and working with other sources. Oh, I was also able to get whatever files remained of Robbie from the camps and from the Children's Aid organization, OSE, that took Robbie and the other boys to France to try and rehabilitate them. So you had these other resources yeah. besides Robbie remembering parts of his story, yeah. but it as it unfolds, we know that it, because of the trauma, and it's good for us to know, trauma just really can shut down the brain and, and make us forget about things, uh, which, you know, considering the trauma that he experienced through the war, through the uh, uh, the concentration camp, it's um, and then really, even in the rehabilitation, th- there was trauma involved. Yes. This is what attracted me to the story and writing it in the way that I did write it, um, which is I start 
when the boys, 437 of the boys, uh, are on the train to France. Um, prior to that, the psychologists and the doctors and, you know, the, the, the liberating armies, they just thought these boys were too angry. They all hated each other, um, too angry, too destructive. They've lost too many years, both, uh, you know, from emotional experiences as well as their schooling to be functional at, at all. And so the organization that took the boys to France believed otherwise. And I just thought that's the story because the vast majority of those boys, which do include Nobel Prize winner L.A. Wiesel, I believe a political advisor for J.F. Kennedy, these boys went on to not just live uh, extraordinary lives as humanitarians, politicians, religious figures, writers, uh, you know, but family men, uh, you know, children and grandchildren. And it just struck me, how did they do this? How did that happen? Um, and I felt that that story was very relevant for today when kids are living in, you know, a, a a precariously unsafe world and very interconnected. Like we know what's going on in other places where there's conflict and certainly that must impact young people. But even just the vast um, numbers of mental health issues among young people. And I just felt the story of these boys, like what did it take for them to, you know, moving on is not the right word because of course you you never move on from what you experience. But putting that into some kind of context that they could still go out and lead meaningful lives. And I felt that was the story. So, so true. Because without doubt, uh, even taking this pandemic out of the equation, life is challenging for so many young people just because of the nature of the world, but just yeah. so much upheaval in their own personal lives. So mm -hmm. there is there is a, a, a strong way to draw a parallel. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and, and that was my intention. I mean, of course, in the book, I, you know, we weave in Robbie's backstory um, about his Holocaust experience, which everyone... I've ever heard are just phenomenal. Like, you know, your jaw, jaw drops and you go, you know, these were young children. How in the world did they navigate this world all on their own? Um, but I just really, really was drawn to Robbie's experiences in France and not just the you know, really crazy serendipitous stuff that happened, you know, meeting his cousins, having this woman, you know, he went from a very poor family in Poland, uh, Skarzysko Kamena, where, you know, they had an outhouse. Their house was like three rooms. She wanting to be adopted by this woman, uh, Jane Branch, who, you know, lived next door to the Rothschilds in Paris, who had Rembrandts in her home that had, you know, a four-poster bed for Robbie, was taking him to the operas. Robbie went to the first Cannes Film Festival with this family. Um, but that wasn't just what it, what it was about. You know, it was exposure to the arts, which, you know, the, the people involved with uh, the the boys in France felt was really important, 
but it was just the gentle care. Each one of the boys was matched up with a mentor or an elder. Most of them were survivors themselves. I mean, um, the man, Manfred, that uh, became really close with Robbie, he'd lost his entire family at Auschwitz. And it was just the belief these people have that these boys can be saved. Oh, yes. Because it was so challenging, there was also the thought that, no, they were too traumatized or because they survived, there must be something that uh, is really negative within their personalities, right? Yes. I mean, that was one thing the boys would hear is, um, you survived. What did you do to survive? You must have hurt other people. Like, uh, that was one of the... The, the thoughts that was going around that people would say, like, how did you survive when millions of millions did not? You must have been, you know, stealth. You, you must have used, you know, trickery. That was one thing that was thrown at Robbie and some of the other boys. And, of course, they would question all this. You know, they're still children. They're teenagers. Uh, their mind and their brain is still evolving. So a lot of the negative talk... They internalized. Uh, you know, we talk in the book about how Robbie, he didn't even know his name when after liberation. He just knew his number, and he just knew the words that he was told. Rat, you know, you're no better than rat food. And the total dismissal of people uh, in the camps when they would get sick or they weren't useful anymore. He saw all of this, so it wasn't... It wasn't just a personal trauma of losing his entire family, of the starvation, of the torture. There was also the trauma of the negative words he and the other boys were telling themselves, and they believed. And so many young people today, and even adults, you know, we've got that negative self-talk going on. And um, I just think the book and the story of so many survivors really resonates with all people because we all fundamentally um, have these experiences of real doubt, of real dismay, of real um, of trauma. Um, and that's how we can sort of relate to each other is, you know, through those experiences and not comparing them, oh, yours was worse than mine, that sort of thing. But, you know, through our losses, we learn to hold each other and ourselves. And it's, you've shared this story, written it so beautifully, this really, the horrors, but still beautiful writing and, and really draws us in. It, and the writing is, you've written this really for uh, a middle school reading audience, but in such a way that adults reading it, I'm reading it and I'm really appreciating it. So it it has a very broad audience that can inform and also help us to understand and to heal as well. Yes. Uh, you know, Robbie gives so many talks all all over, uh, or, or certainly did. He, he lost his wife, Gloria, right before uh, COVID in 2020, and um, he's 
not doing as well as he has been, let's just say. Uh, but when he would do his talks and his tours, it was really young people that resonated so much with his story, um, saying, you know, uh, they learned, they understood. And Robbie tells this one story of a boy who wrote him a letter. And one of the things Robbie would say in his talks is, you know, you, you appreciate what you have. And so the boy went home and told his dad for the first time, I guess, in years, I love you. Mm-hmm. And the father turned to the son and said, what happened to the car? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Mm. Um, so it's just little, little messages like that, um, that, you know, Robbie would be inundated with young people in particular writing. Um, and certainly a lot of Native Americans would write and say, you know, this was my childhood experience, uh, and Native Canadians, you know, and and understanding the healing journey through that. And so that's why we wanted to aim the book to a young adult audience. But of course, and I can't, I don't know the statistics offhand, but my understanding is um, something like 35% of readers of young adult books are young adults and the rest are adults. Mm. Uh, and that's not just my books. That's, I think, most young adult books. So um, yes. I could be wrong on that stat, but yes. <laughs> uh, I would um, I would tend to agree with you being I'm, I'm rather familiar with a, a, quite a number of young adult books, and I, I think that that's very true. Um, mm-hmm. But for Robbie... It took him a long time to really share his story. He didn't even tell it, uh, share it with his own kids until yeah. um, more recently, really. Um, yes and no. Uh, he actually began public speaking, or at least locally, um, in the 1980s. There was a school teacher in Alberta, Canada, who... Uh, very publicly, both to his students and in the media, denounced the the Holocaust. Uh, And Robbie at that point felt he should begin to tell his story. And I believe it was around that time, too, he he co-founded with uh, Dr. Robert Krell the Vancouver Holocaust Center, too. And so it, it really began in the 1980s, and it was slow. Uh, you know, at first it was just little bits of his story, you know, the atrocities that he saw. And then as he began to get comfortable public speaking, you know, more of his story came out. Um, He, you know, he, he and the others, certainly at the turn of the 20th century, there was enough advancements in psychiatry that we knew, um, the psychiatric and psychological community knew the importance of childhood, strong bonds, strong family in the development of the brain and how trauma plays into, um, you know, doing some damage there. I'm not a psychiatrist. This is another show. So if I get my wording wrong, please forgive me. Um, but by the time, uh, World War II happened, you know, there was just so much and it wasn't just the boys, uh, survivors of the Holocaust, it was also our militaries. They would return, um, you know, having experienced things, but were told, just put it aside, get on with life. And it was really only 
uh, you know, an evolution of so much of our military coming home with PTSD that we couldn't turn our back on it. And we really need to, to evolve and, and, you know, recognize the importance of, of, of trauma uh, in general. So much of the reason why the, the boys from Buchenwald didn't share their stories, and in fact, I believe that Robbie was one of the first Buchenwald boys, other than Nobel Prize winner Eli Wiesel, to actually share his experiences publicly. Um, it was just an evolution until now um, that he was ready to put it to, to a book form. But he was giving talks, and he was giving a lot of talks with Leon Bass, who was a school teacher uh, and one of the, um, an African American that was one of, in the, the first uh, African American battalion that visited Buchenwald after liberation. Robbie went and did a lot of talks with Leon Bass as well. And we're fortunate that the path occurred that he decided it was time to bring his story to light because. Th- For all the reasons you've already shared with us, Susan, in in terms of its relevance today, we, we need to read this, we need to discuss this, we need to understand, both in terms of the truth of the Holocaust, but in terms of the traumas that exist today and how it is possible to heal it. Let's first try not to have those traumas, but life being what it is, knowing that we we can, we are strong enough and resilient enough to heal. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I may get this wording wrong. So again, please forgive me, but Dr. Robert Krell, a psychiatrist uh, in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia, um, he was also a hidden children. And the hidden children were um, Jewish children that families gave to, uh, you know, in Poland, farmers, um, monasteries, monasteries in France, orphanages. They gave to just Christian organizations or Christian families um, to raise in an attempt to keep them safe. And um, these children tended to be younger, uh, you know, often babies before the ages of two or three. And Dr. Robert Krell has studied child survivors of the Holocaust, and I believe his research is incredibly important um, for today and always, is most people would think that the hidden children, and many of the hidden children were put in terrible circumstances too. They were abused and whatnot. But say the good families that took the kids in, the, the good organizations, um, would think that the hidden children were fortunate. You know, as one one person said to me, they won the lottery. They survived by being hidden by these families. They should be okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas the boys from Buchenwald, they saw their families murdered in front of them. They were tortured. They had starvation. They were, starting at ages 8, 9, 10, you know, left abandoned to work for Nazis to figure out how do we survive. They were survival mode. And generally, like when experts went to Buchenwald and liberated the camp, they said, you know, these boys can't heal from this. They're damaged beyond repair, psychologically, physically. Dr. Robert Krell's research has actually shown it's the opposite. 
that the hidden children have not done as well. You know, they suffer from intimacy, intimacy and relationship issues, addictions and alcohol, broken marriages, uh, poor workplace um, advancement versus the Buchenwald boys who generally were able to transit back into lives to have solid relationships, families, um, business, run businesses, politics, writers, and whatnot. And Dr. Robert Krells, as a psychiatrist, and this is where my, read, my wording may not be psychiatric, so mm-hmm. go to the experts on this, looked at brain development. The hidden children were taken from their family when they were younger, when the brain was still forming. And they had attachment issues were um, it, it, immediately, you know, their families weren't there, their communities weren't there, their faith wasn't there. They didn't know who they were. They had identity problems, whereas the Buchenwald boys tended to be around six, seven, eight, nine, ten, when they were taken from their families and, and pushed into, you know, cattle trains and camp after camp and forced to survive. But they had um, more resiliency in their brain because they had the memories mm-hmm. of love, of family, of, of faith, of, of meals with communities, of being held, of their stories, their folk stories. And that information I feel is vital for today. Yes. Oh, yes, it is. And and yet there's so much stuff, life stuff that goes on that has such a negative impact on our youth, which is perhaps evidence of what goes on. But again, going to the story of the resilience that that is there within us and to hold on to that hope. And part of that that hope and the healing comes in the forgiveness, which Robbie found that he was, he needed to do and he was able to do. Yeah, I mean, I think, just to go back, like, I think one of the things to really take away from this book, um, other than, I shouldn't say entertainment, other than, it, it really is a phenomenal story, is um, the importance of those first few years of life in giving children the stability that as they age, they can, they can overcome, you know, they can have a upset in their life or whatnot and, and be able to move on from that. So both looking at how the Buchenwald boys were held in France nurtured, um, were able to translate their experiences to some kind of context that allowed them to move on in life um, versus the hidden children that just couldn't do that. Um, I really hope that takes away for readers, you know, how we need to really value those first few many years of life and how if kids are given that through the Buchenwald, through Robbie's story and the Buchenwald boy's story, how you're setting kids up for life to be able to navigate the bumps and the ebbs and flows and whatnot. We have far too many kids with mental health issues and on antidepressants when they really just need community, love to be held, um, and, 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 and talking. Talking about their stories is, is very important. Um, so that's what I really hope people take away is, is 
is there is meaning in life and and we are resilient and how can we become how can we empower our youth to be more resilient yes it that's ex- exactly what we are we can gain from this incredible book, Boy from Buchenwald. Susan McLennan, you have done just such an incredible work in providing this story to us. We should mention your website. That's where we can get more information and uh, find out about your other books as well. So let's mention that. Uh, It's just www.smcclellan.com. And also, of course, the book is now readily available from all of our favorite book sources. So certainly uh, check that out and and support our our local bookstores, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, again, Susan, I just so appreciate this work that you're doing, bringing us this story and helping us to get more insight into it and uh, insight into understanding our own lives and going forward as as better people. Thank you so much for having me and, and resonating with the story. Thank you.